Thanks for tuning in to the High School at 12 Stone Church ministry podcast. Let this message be a source of truth and encouragement. Let's lean into this week's message. Well, hello, students, and welcome to the very first week of our leadership series, Stand Up. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Steve, and I'm the campus pastor of the 12 Stone Sugarloaf Campus. Uh, But before I was the campus pastor, I was actually the student pastor there at that same campus for about four years. Um, Actually, when I was 13 years old, I felt like God was calling me into into student ministry. And so being a student pastor and, and today being able to talk to you, honestly, is like a dream come true for me. I love, love, love getting the chance to talk to middle school and high school students. And, and I'm sure if you were kind of on the outside looking in, it might have been easy for you to assume that leadership came really naturally for me or that I was just kind of born with it. Um, <laughs> but I got to tell you, nothing, nothing is further from the truth. See, I think when it comes to leadership, there are natural-born leaders, and then there are learned leaders. Um, The natural-born leaders are the ones that, man, they're just, they have that charisma. It's like everyone naturally follows them. In fact, my oldest brother, a guy by the name of David, David is a natural-born leader. I mean, I mean, whenever he would enter a room, everyone would pay attention to him. Everyone would lean in. They all wanted to know what David had to say. And when he went somewhere else or said, we should go do something, everyone followed him. In fact, I remember when I was a kid, um, I'd have like birthday parties and my friends would come over to my house for my birthday party. But as soon as they got there, they would ask, hey, hey, where's David? And it's like, hey, it's my birthday. You guys came here for me. But they all wanted to be around David because David was a natural born leader. And so for me, growing up with David always in the house, I, I didn't think that I could be a leader. I didn't really know how to lead. And so everything I know today about leading came through trial and error. It came from trying a lot of things, and, and most of them didn't work, but, but a few of them did. And so I just want you to know that no matter how old you are, whether you're really young or really old, or whether, whether you're a natural-born leader or a learned leader, I want you to know that today you can be a better leader. In fact, that's what this whole series is about. It's all about you being the best leader that you can be. Now, because we're talking about leadership, I thought it might be helpful for us to answer a really, really basic question. Okay, so here's here's the question. The question is, what is leadership? What is leadership, okay? So I want you to start thinking of uh, your definition, your personal definition for leadership, and it can be nice and simple, just a few words or maybe a, a small phrase, okay? Get that definition in your head. And then on the count of three, I want you to shout out your personal definition for leadership, okay? Count of three, here we go. One, two, three. Okay, there we go. Okay, that's it, that's good, that's good. Okay, now let me share with you, let me share with you my definition for leadership. I think leadership is influence. See, I'm a simple guy and I need a simple one-word definition. And so for me, when I think of leadership, I think influence. And I'm not the one that made this up. There's a leadership guru by the name of John Maxwell, and he's famous for saying leadership is influence. And so whenever you hear the word leadership, just think influence. Whenever you hear influence, just think leadership. Okay, now, now let me introduce one more question for you, and I want you to think about this question. The question is, how do you know, how do you know, like for sure know, when someone is a leader? 
Okay, now you're not gonna shout out the answer, but I want you to think if someone called on you, if someone asked you this question, how would you answer them? How do you know when someone is a leader? And I think you know when someone is a leader when someone else is following, right? I mean, I mean when someone else is following, you know the person they're following is a leader. And so, and so here's what that means. Okay, you could be a leadership guru. You could have read all the leadership books. You know, you could have gone to a bunch of leadership seminars. I mean, you could be besties with John Maxwell, you know, like you're hanging out with John. You're like, saw, dude. And he's like, saw, dude. You know, like you and John, you're hanging out together, okay? But, but if no one else is following you, that means you're not a leader, And on the other hand, you could have never read a leadership book in your life. You could have never gone to any leadership conference or seminar. In fact, you may have come here today and you're like, why are we talking about leadership? I don't even know what that's about. But if people are following you, then congratulations. You are a leader. See, because we know that someone is a leader when someone else is following. And because of that, it's easy for us to drift into thinking that being a leader means other people should be all about us. I mean, after all, if someone else following is the way that we know that someone else is a leader, that must mean that when other people are about me, that means I'm a leader. And so it's easy for us to lead selfishly and make sure that other people are about us. See, my first taste of leadership was when I was in high school. I was the leader of a rock and roll band called Eighth Degree, called Eighth Degree. I know some of you already know a little bit about Eighth Degree, but for those of you that don't, you can check us out. Go to myspace.com slash Eighth Degree. You can, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, but we thought we were a pretty big deal, okay? We, we, um, like we had a website, which was a very big deal back in the day. Um, we, had, we had a demo CD that we sold for $3, and people actually bought this demo CD. People paid to listen to our music. In fact, do you guys wanna do you guys wanna see a picture of eighth degree? Yeah, yeah, check it out. This is this is a picture of eighth degree. Um, yeah, that is uh, that's Scott the guitarist, and then Brian the drummer, and then that's your boy right there. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I don't know why I have sunglasses or a trucker hat. I don't know why I'm saluting. There's a lot of questions about this picture, okay? But that was me, and then that was our bassist, Andrew, just squeezing in to the picture. And this was our band, and we thought we were a pretty big deal. In fact, we had fans, like people that actually listened to our music. And this is, this is my favorite part. We not only had fans that lived in Georgia, get this, this is true, we had fans in Australia, yeah, we had fans in Australia. I mean, yeah, this is actually, this is a picture of one of our fans in Australia. And here's what I love about this picture, okay? She's wearing an eighth degree shirt. And here's why this picture is amazing, okay? We didn't make eighth degree shirts, okay? So she loved our band so much that she actually made an eighth degree shirt. And so for me, I mean, I felt like an incredible leader because she was all about me and our fans were all about me. And see, that was, that was part of the problem. See, the problem was we were a band for our benefit. My leadership was selfish. My leadership was how can I get other people to be all about me? And in a world where we measure influence by, by retweets, by likes, by favorites, it's easy for us to drift to selfish leadership and think that to be a leader, it means we need to make other people all about us and become the selfish leader. 
But there's one really, really big problem with being a selfish leader. See, the problem is no one wants to follow a selfish leader. You and I may drift to being a selfish leader, but the big, big problem is no one actually wants to follow a selfish leader. I mean, I mean to be honest, no one wants to be around a selfish person. I mean, do you have those friends that you always hang out with them and they love talking about themselves, right? I mean, have you noticed that when you get around people that love talking about themselves, you wanna hang out with them less and less and less? Or, or, or do you have any friends that are like the one-uppers? You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys have any friends that are one-uppers? You know, like the one-uppers that if you tell a story, they just have to like tell a better story about themselves. You know, you're telling a story about a time you went fishing and you're like, yeah, I caught like a three-pound fish. And then they interrupt you and they're like, that's nothing. You know, I caught a 30-pound fish with my bare hands. And you're like, that's good. In Alaska, you know, and they're just trying to, they're trying to make themselves better than you. And when you get around one-uppers, when you get around selfish people, you don't want to hang out with them for too long. And the same is true for leadership. In other words, if you choose to be a selfish leader, then eventually you'll find yourself surrounded by no one. And we know that someone is a leader because other people are following them, which means that if you choose to be a selfish leader, not only will you not have people around you, but eventually that means that you won't be a leader at all. See, and Jesus knew that this was the tension that we would deal with. In fact, Jesus was a leader and there were 12 other leaders under him. And Jesus saw the tension of selfish leadership play out in them. And he knew what was at stake. And he knew that if they continued to be selfish leaders, eventually they would find themselves surrounded by no one. And so Jesus huddles them up for a conversation. And he offers them a different way. And so I actually want to zoom into the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. And that conversation is recorded by one of the disciples, a guy named Matthew. And we're going to look at what he wrote down together. So go ahead, grab your Bibles. They're right under your chair or right under the chair in front of you. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 20 on page 987. Page 987, go ahead, grab your Bibles. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter 20. And here's kind of the context, okay? There were 12 disciples, 12 12 leaders that um, they all were kind of selfish leaders. But two of them, two of them came up to Jesus and they had this kind of conversation. They said, Jesus, Jesus, we love what you're doing, okay? You're like, you know, you're healing people and that's pretty cool. And then there was this time you like walked on water and that was pretty awesome. And then there was this other time where like, you know, there were all these people gathered up and this kid had some fish sticks and you took it and then everyone had fish sticks. That was amazing, you know? And so they really like Jesus and they're like, a lot of people know about you, Jesus. Well, we want a lot of people to know about us, And so could you make us like your number one and number two? In other words, could you make us your favorite disciples? Could you make us like the number one leaders so that other people could be all about us? Well, as you can imagine, when the other 10 found out that these two leaders had that conversation with Jesus, they were furious because they wanted to be the number one leaders. They wanted other people to be all about them. And so when Jesus saw all of these selfish leaders arguing amongst themselves, he called them together for a conversation. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers, or I'm gonna put in the word leaders, you know that the leaders of the Gentiles lorded over them 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, you already know how selfish leaders act. You're surrounded by selfish leaders. You know when other leaders are all about themselves. And then Jesus says to his disciples, not so with you. In other words, there is a different way to lead. That you don't have to lead like everyone else leads. And so then Jesus shows them a different way. He says, not so with you. Instead, here's the other way. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And then Jesus gets personal. And he talks about himself. He says, just as the Son of Man, in other words, just as Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus was saying, you already know how other people act, but I want to offer you a different way. I want you to be a servant, just like I'm a servant. See, Jesus looks at his disciples, and I think if he were to talk to us today, he would say this. He would say, anyone, anyone can be a selfish leader, but you can be a servant leader. It's easy for us to be selfish leaders. There are a dime a dozen. You can find selfish leaders all over the place, but you can be different. You can be a servant leader. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time together is I want us to talk about the differences between a selfish leader and a servant leader. For a lot of us, we already know what it's like to be around selfish leaders, to be led by selfish leaders, but Jesus offers us a different way. And I think there's three distinctions that we can learn today about how to be a servant leader. So here's the first one. The first one is a selfish leader looks for credit, but a servant leader looks for a cause. Now, a selfish leader looks for credit, while a servant leader looks for a cause. So it was a few years ago, I had the chance to speak at a leadership seminar that they had at Peachtree Ridge High School. Um, they asked me to come and communicate to a group of leaders that were gathered there on a, on, a, on a school morning. And so I showed up to the school, and you know, when you, when you, when you show up, um, they make you sign in to the school. If you guys have ever had visitors there, come visit you. So you, so you sign in, and then after you sign in, they give you a name badge. <laughs> and I don't know why, but, um, but, but the schools, um, they've decided that the name badges should be brightly colored and really obnoxious, okay? And so at Peachtree Ridge, uh, when you sign in as a guest, um, the badge that you have to put on is like bright, neon, glow-in-the-dark, awful, just disgusting green, okay? So anyways, I sign in, and they say, okay, here's your visitor name badge, and I go, okay, and I slap it on, and then I walk to where they were having the gathering, and talk about leadership for a little bit, and then I drop the mic, you know. I'm just kidding, I didn't drop the mic. But um, anyways, I, I handed it to them when I was done. And so I finished, and I walked out, and the next thing on my calendar for that day was I was gonna be um, meeting up with some of my other pastor friends, and we were going to a, to a conference for pastors. And so as I walk into the conference, I realize as I'm walking through the door that I still have that bright green name badge on. And a normal person would have just taken it off as soon as they noticed it and thrown it away. But, but I'm not a normal person. And so I, um, 
I decided not to take it off, see, because I was really proud of how I did that morning, and I wanted other people to know. And so I kept that name badge on, and I wore it like a badge of honor. And so I walk in, and I see, you know, all my friends together, and I, and I walk into the middle of the group of them. And then one of them looks at me and says, hey, Steve, what's, uh, what's, the, what's the name badge for? And then I go, the... Um, Oh, this. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let me tell you what happened. So um, Peachtree Ridge High School, kind of this really big school, they wanted a great leadership speaker to speak to their students. And so obviously they called me. So I showed up, you know, I did amazing. I dropped the mic, you know, and I was out of there. And I, I guess I just, I guess I just forgot to take off the name badge. Whoops. And then I still didn't take it off. And so sure enough, I get in another group of people. And then one of the guys in that group says, hey, What's the name badge? And I go, what's the, um, what's the, oh, this, yeah, uh, let me tell you about that. Um, I had to show up to this leadership thing. Everyone's always asking me to speak, and so I was like, fine, you know? And so I show up, and it was amazing. They're probably going to ask me to speak again, because why wouldn't you, you know? And then drop the mic, you know? And on and on that day, I kept talking about how incredible I did, because I wanted everyone else to notice me. See, I wanted all the credit. Like, this is why whenever you work on a group project, you know, the order of the names on the front page really matters, you know? Like, you get your friends together and you're like, hey, um, when we write down the names, we should alphabetize them by last name, you know? Starting with the letter M, you know? It's like, I want my name to be first because I want to get all the credit. And that's what a selfish leader does. See, a selfish leader asks the question, how did I do? While a servant leader asked the question, were they served well? Like, did, did what we do today actually help them? Are they better leaders because I was there? See, a selfish leader is always looking for credit, but a servant leader looks for a cause. See, that's the first distinction between the two. Now, the second distinction between them is a selfish leader wants something from others. What can I get from people? While a servant leader wants something for others. A selfish leader wants something from others, while a servant leader, a servant leader wants something for others. See, I, I, um, I've had the chance to go on a mission trip to the country of Haiti for four years. And uh, some of you have been to Haiti. In fact, some of you have been on a trip with me. I've had the chance to lead high school students um, to the country of Haiti. And, uh, and I love, love, love being able to go. See, when I first heard about Haiti, I, uh, um, I heard that, that it was the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. I heard that 80% of the people live on less than $2 a day, which is considered global poverty. And 50% live on less than $1 a day, which is considered extreme poverty global poverty. And then in addition to that, there's been the earthquake and all sorts of hurricanes that have come through the country of Haiti and, and have devastated that country. And so when I heard this, my heart just broke for the people of Haiti. And so I said, sign me up. I want to go. I want to go be a part of that mission trip. And some of you have done the exact same thing. You've actually gone to the country of Haiti on one of our mission trips. Now, the very first year when I went, I found out that you had to um, raise support to actually go, and the very first year that I went, it cost $1,850 for me to go. And that's a lot of money, okay? It was $1,850 that I do not have. And so I, um, so I then found out that you were supposed to ask other people 
friends and family to actually raise support and donate money to your trip. Well, well, I felt kind of weird about asking my friends and family for money because it felt like I was just trying to get something from people, you know? That was just my hand out, like, give me money, you know, would you give me money, give me money? So I went up to my leader and I said, look, I'm all about going to Haiti and I get it that it costs money, but I feel weird about asking people for money because it feels like I'm just trying to get something from them instead of want something for them. And that leader helped change my perspective. He said, in Instead of thinking about it like your hand is out and you're asking for money, think about it like an invitation. Think about it like you want someone to join you when you go to Haiti. See, and not everyone can pick up and hop on a plane and go to the country of Haiti. Sometimes the way people join you and what you're doing is by giving financially. And so I thought, okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll give that a shot. And so I met up with family and friends and I talked to them and I told them about my heart for Haiti. I said, hey, I have an opportunity to actually go to the country of Haiti and talked about the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and less than $2 a day, less than $1 a day. And I said, I have a chance to go and I'm really excited about going. And I, I, I just want to know, would you be interested in partnering with me, in, in going with me in a sense to Haiti? And, and if so, would you mind actually giving financially? And here's the crazy thing. Every person I talked to said yes. In fact, many people, they got out their checkbook, they wrote a check, they handed it to me and then said, thank you. <laughs> I was like, you're welcome? No, 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 it's like you hand me a check, I'm supposed to say thank you. But they said thank you because they were invited in to the trip. Because it wasn't about just getting money from them, it was allowing them to be a part of what God was doing in the country of Haiti. And when you lead, is your heart that you're just trying to get something from people or is your heart that you want more for people than from people? That you want other people to be a part of what God is doing. See, that's what it means to be a servant leader. See, a selfish leader just looks at a project they have to do and says, I need someone to staple papers. I need someone else to make copies. And I, I need you to do this. And would you do this? And they're just handing out responsibility. But a servant leader says, hey, I have a vision, I have an idea, and I want you to be a part of it. And I want you to come with me as we go after this vision together. Because see, a selfish leader just wants something from people. But a servant leader wants something for others. And the very last principle is this. A selfish leader, and this is, the wording on this is so important. A selfish leader thinks they're exceptional while a servant leader knows that they're elevated. A selfish leader thinks that they're exceptional. They think they're the best there is, while a servant leader knows, knows that they've been elevated. See, it's, it's easy for us to think that if I'm a leader, and if someone asks me to be a leader, that means it's because it's I'm the best there is. In fact, maybe your mom or your dad told you that you're, you're the best there is, you know? They, when you were a kid, they were like, you're the best ba baseball player there is, you know? You're the smartest kid there is, you know? You're the like best looking kid there is and they're telling you all these things and saying, you're exceptional and there's no one like you and there's no one better than you. And I'm here today to tell you, if you think you're exceptional, the news I have for you is, you're not. <laughs> You're not. If you think there's no one smarter than you, I've got a newsflash for you. There are a lot of people that are smarter than you. If you think you're the best leader there is, 
No, you're not. There are a ton of other better leaders. And if you think you're the best looking person there is, then you are definitely not, okay? There is someone hotter than you, I promise you. I promise you there is. See, and it's easy to think that when we're put in a position of leadership, it's because we're the best that there is. And of course, they would ask me to be a leader because I'm exceptional. See, this is what I thought when I was 17. My student pastor, a guy by the name of Matt, invited me to actually speak for our students. See, every Wednesday night, our youth group would gather, and he was always the one to give the message. And on this one occasion, he pulled me aside. He said, hey, I'd like for you to give the message. Uh, About a month from now, I want you to be the one that delivers the sermon. And at first, when he told me that, I was blown away. I said, oh my gosh, that's incredible. I can't believe he he would ask me to do this. And then as I started preparing for the message and started thinking about it, my, my mindset kind of transitioned and I thought, well, well, of course I'm giving the message. I mean, he should have asked me earlier, you know? It's like, have you met me? Of course you would ask me to give the message. And then I started imagining what the message was gonna be like, you know? I kind of imagined it in my brain that I was gonna go up and I was gonna give this message and it was gonna be amazing, you know? And all the girls were gonna cry and they'd be so emotional, you know? And then secretly they would all wanna date me, you know? And then all the guys would be like, that was powerful, bro, you know? And they would all wanna be like my best friends, you know? That like, that's the way that the message was gonna go. And then I started feeling bad for Matt, my student pastor. I thought, oh my gosh, poor guy. You know, I'm gonna speak, I'm gonna kill it, I'm gonna do amazing. And then the next week, he's gonna go up and give the message and they're gonna go, who is this Matt guy? We want Steve, you know? And they'd start chanting, we want Steve, we want Steve, you know? And they'd be like so excited and then they would hoist me up on their shoulders and be like, Steve, Steve. And they would start the chant and they'd get all excited. And I thought that he asked me to speak because I was exceptional. There's no one better than me. And then the big day came when I finally got to deliver that sermon. And I was planning on speaking for about 25 or 30 minutes. And I got up and I started speaking and I was about seven minutes into the sermon and I discovered that no one cared. (laughs) That no one was paying attention, that everyone was distracted. And so then I kind of pulled the e-brake on the message and I just said, I think we're done here. And I just prayed and we were done. And it was a seven minute message and it was terrible. And I was so embarrassed when it was done. See, cause I walked in there thinking the reason I was given the message was because I was exceptional and no one would do as good as I did. But then I got to the end of it and I realized the reason that I was put in a position of leadership is because my leader elevated me. He chose to lift me up and give me an opportunity. And if you've been given an opportunity for leadership, it's because someone around you or more likely someone above you elevated you to give you that leadership. See, Jesus, Jesus knew that we would be given influence and that we would be given leadership, which is why he cautioned us. He said, it's gonna be easy for you to be a selfish leader like everyone else, but I challenge you to be a servant leader because Jesus knew that leadership is a dangerous, dangerous weapon. See, about five or six years ago, I had a chance to to run a half marathon out in Utah. 
it was this, um, it was in the Canyonlands, and me and my friends decided that we were going to go, and we were going to hop on a plane, and we were going to run this half marathon. It was supposed to be beautiful and incredible. And so me and my buddies were walking through the airport, and then we had to go through, through airport security. You guys ever been through airport security? You know how awful airport security is. It's like, it's so terrible. You have to like take off your shoes and take off your belt and then you have to put your bag and you know, your belt and your shoes and your dignity all on the little conveyor belt. <laughs> you're, just, you're just like putting it on there and then watching it go by and you gotta stand in the deal and you know, do the, do the thing and you gotta go through there and it's like, it's just so embarrassing and it's so awful having to go through that. Well, anyways, I was, I was going through airport security and I got to the other end of it and I noticed that the bag that I'd brought with me, um, instead of being on the conveyor belt like all of my friends' bags, for some reason it was on the other side of the conveyor belt, just on a chair, which I thought was kind of weird. And so um, I don't know why I did this, but I thought, oh, why is my bag over there? So I walk around to the other side of the conveyor belt. Don't do this, by the way. That was really dumb. But I walk around to the other side, and I go ahead, grab my bag, because I'm like, that's my bag. I don't know why they put it there. And I start walking away, and then I hear this loud, booming voice go, sir, put the bag down. I was like, I look around. He goes, sir, it was on that chair for a reason. Put the bag down. I was like, fine, you know, and I'm so done with this whole security deal, so I put it back down, and I like wait patiently, and then when I was done, that guy came up to me with my bag in his hand. He said, sir, is this your bag? I'm like, yes, that's my bag. He goes, sir, is there anything dangerous in this bag I should know about? And, and I'll go ahead and tell you what was in the bag, okay? Um, I had my Bible, a journal, a book, and a pen. That's what I had in this bag. And so we asked, we go, sir, is there anything dangerous in this bag? I go, no. But I'll tell you what's in the bag. Uh, there's a Bible, a journal, a book, and a pen. And then he looks at me again. He goes, sir, are you sure there's nothing dangerous in this bag? And I go, well, not unless you think a Bible a journal, a book, and a pen are dangerous. And then he opens up the bag, and he pulls out a serrated knife, which is not a good day for Steve. And as soon as he pulled that out, I immediately remember what happened. The day before for lunch, I had like an apple and some peanut butter, and I brought the knife with me to work to cut up the apple, and I left it in the bag. And so immediately my face changed and immediately his face changed. And he looked at me and he said, hey, can I keep this knife? And I looked at him, I said, sir, you can have the whole bag. You know, it's like, dude, you can take it, man. I'm so sorry about that. See, I'd been walking around in the airport with a dangerous weapon and I had no idea. And many of you are walking around with the dangerous weapon of leadership. And you have no idea. And Jesus says, before you leverage your leadership to be selfish and to hurt others and to make everyone else all about you, Jesus would encourage us to use the dangerous weapon of leadership to serve others and to be a servant leader, not a selfish leader. Because anyone can be a selfish leader 
But you can be a servant leader. 